Hey, welcome to the Thanksgiving podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm joined around the table on this beautiful Thanksgiving week with Greg Harris and Jeff Bucknam. And boys, don't we just love Thanksgiving? It's a, such a great weekend that we I'm get to spend. I'm thankful that I'm here. Oh, I'm thankful I'm here too. I'm thankful that uh, for so many things. Greg, what are you thankful for? Here's a hot take about Thanksgiving for you. You ready for this? Go for it. Because I got one too. I, I think that Canadian Thanksgiving is probably one of the most... Um, Overrated of the holiday. What is wrong with okay, you? Okay, Greg, I'm going to go with, I'm okay, going to say yes. I like, I like the, I like holidays, but I think that we have, I'm glad we have Thanksgiving. Oh, listen to you with all your caveats yep. now. You're afraid of the people, of the what? masses that will object. Greg, let it out, man. Let it out. I'm with hot you. Take. Here's the hot I'm with take. You. I just think we have a, we have a little bit of an inferiority thing with Thanksgiving. That we see on the TV and we hear from all of the friends who are from the America and they're talking about the Thanksgiving and it sounds so great for them. And then we have ours in October. We got a whole nother month plus before we can start thinking about Christmas. The best part about American Thanksgiving from my perspective as a Canadian is that you can do the Thanksgiving and then you can prepare for the Christmas. Right. And you can watch the football. All we day. St- we I, still have the Halloween to wait for. I agree with you when it comes to the the season. Okay. As an American, it it really does mark the season out. Yep. And I know that they keep trying to expand it. By they, I mean uh, the re- man retailers. <laughs> yeah, and the the pantavret. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, that's a line from uh, "So I Married an Axe Murderer." Is it on the Netflix? <laughs> I think it's on the Netflix. I don't know. If it's not, it's a very funny movie. <laughs> anyway, the um the 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 literati, the Illuminati. <laughs> the Illuminati. There you go. <laughs> they they are see you totally throwing me off. They've made the season. Yeah, Longer. but it's really helpful to have a, like a marker. Yeah. So you, you're not really allowed to put your Christmas lights up before Thanksgiving. That's the cultural rule yep. in the States. And if you do, you're a little bit weird. And that goes the same goes with Christmas music, right? Yes. Speaking of which, yep. riding my bike. Here we go. The other day, I I rode by a house. It's October. What is it? October 9th today? 10th. October 10th. We're recording this live on well, October 10th. I, I rode, rode on October 9th by a house that was totally decked out for Halloween. Oh, yeah. I've... This is crazy. Why? Why would you? Okay. I think people just go, they bought a whole bunch of Halloween stuff and they're like, well, this sort of stinks. I don't want to just use this for like the week before Halloween. I got to use it for the month before. Mm. So now Halloween has sort of become like the Christmas before the Christmas. Yep. Right? I think we should make a rule that you should not decorate for any holiday. I don't know. Uh, until a week f- until before. Four, until four weeks before. Until Costco unleashes their next season's uh, totally. Christmas decorations or the next decorations. Then you can start decorating for oh, the previous but already, one. But they're already. Yeah, it's they're already on Easter, there. aren't they? Here's, okay, another, here's, here's another hot take. No, Greg, I got a hot take. Okay, you go. Don't take my hot take. Okay. Um, here's my hot take about Thanksgiving. I, I am, I am convinced. I'm of the opinion. This is my opinion, but I know that there are people out here who agree with me. 
I think that turkey dinners are one of the most overrated things. Depends on the, the turkey. Mm, no, doesn't, Jeff. No turkey mm. really tastes that different from the next turkey. Uh, but where are you going to get your uh, your yearly source of tryptophan? Tryptophan. Yeah, and, the, and you get it. You can get it at Christmas. But for whatever reason, we always think we got to mm. have turkey uh, on Thanksgiving, and then we have to have turkey on Christmas, and then turkey on Easter. Where's the ham? No, and that's you what. Know? No, so this is my next thing. That's what they always say. Oh, yeah, but there's ham. Yes, there's ham. And I, I, I don't mind ham, but the reason I'm eating the ham is because I don't really want to eat the turkey. Wow. You, you probably shouldn't eat the ham and because the, it's pork, and we should try to keep the food laws to this be is true. This is true. Wow. But, and so I, that's why, I mean, obviously, because I don't eat pork, that, that's why I'm eating the turkey. I don't but think... Then, but then, Greg, do you notice, I mean, we talked about this in our pre-production meeting, <laughs> that, that almost all of the ingredients taste the same. It's all starchy, it's all white, and it mm. just turns into one glob. Here and look, here's the thing. And then people will say, "Oh, you had a great. You haven't had good turkey dinner. I've had lots of good turkey dinners, and I'm just." Does Darlene Markin, your mother, know the, how you feel about this matter? I think she, my mom, Darlene Markin, makes a phenomenal turkey dinner, but I do not think it is the apex of dinner. I've grown up with like roast beef dinners. Yeah, and I love a good That's roast better. beef dinner. Yeah. Well, why don't you start a new tradition though, in you in the Markin home? Well, I try. My, my wife and I talked about this. We we were talking about how we actually think the roast beef should be a more yeah a more well utilized meat product for holidays. I yeah. think I think the pizza here's, is a better choice. Here's in defense of Canadian Thanksgiving. The you, ready? you ready for this hot take? Yeah. For because people <laughs> insist on serving turkey for both. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. I've just given into the fact that this is going to be the rest of my life eating turkey on these holidays. At least they're further apart than the American Thanksgiving and that's true. Christmas. So there's a positive is you have a month turkey that's the, free. That's the silver lining. But my my family never uh, had turkey on Christmas. What do you do? Oh. And actually, most of the people who I knew were not turkey Christmas turkey eaters. Mm. Ham. I've yeah, heard of people who ham. do the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Ooh, yeah. Did they are they open on Christmas Day? I think they do it on Christmas Eve. Just really? save it. Yeah. I've heard, I've you heard you go down to the KFC and you order the bucket yeah. and the whole family's happy and everyone takes a shower after. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably true. <laughs> Actually. Best KFC product. What is it? Oh, it's their chicken, their popcorn chicken, yes. you guys. Yeah, You're it is right. their popcorn chicken. You're right. You're you know, I wish you could get one of those, the massive, like a, a, you know, their massive buckets. I wish you could just fill that entire thing with popcorn chicken. You probably could. <laughs> That that and, could and be blackout. That could be your Christmas gift to us, or better said, that could be some of you listeners' Christ- Christmas gift to us. Yes, oh, for the Christmas of podcast, popcorn oh, chicken. Oh man, hey, you know we should talk about this. What what do we want for this Christmas podcast? Looking forward, what are the, some of the things that we want to we want to see? Some goals we well, have cle- for the clearly Christmas a bucket podcast. of popcorn chicken. Oh, clearly a bucket of popcorn chicken, and maybe even some dipping sauces, Greg. Yeah, sure. Greg, yeah, I, I don't think I Greg's allowed to I eat I can't eat the popcorn chicken anymore, but I can, uh, I mean, I guess I, I don't have to go to the thing, the Christmas one if you guys don't, you can bring in Does another. It, no, Greg, I think, you know, you're here, you're here, you're here during the inception of this idea yeah, and no, we want good. you there. We want you there eating the bucket of the popcorn chicken from the KFC. Greg, does, um, does Chick-fil-A, they, they kind of appeal to people like you. They got the grilled nuggets. See? Big deal. Big so, deal in the gluten-free world. So uh, you could go down. Are you a big fan of the Chick-fil-A? I don't understand why people worship the Chick-fil-A. Well, it's because when States. you walk in, they they say it's a pleasure to but serve you. I'll it's give, the Disneyland I'll give you. I'll give you this. It's it's a very good fast food option when you're when you need a meal mm. and you don't want to feel like the worst you've ever felt in your life. 
Mm. Chick-fil-A is a good option. See, that's when I would turn to the Chipotle. I go mm. to the Chipotle and I get a nice burrito bowl and I feel better about myself because it's all grass-fed beef. So they tell me. Was yeah. it grass-fed chicken, Greg? Weren't they was it free-range? I thought they were guilty of some so. sort of mad cow disease or something in this just recently. E. coli? They are eating the wrong kind of grass. It must be the wrong kind of grass. Anyway, we're going to move on now from this very fascinating uh, banter. This is a cultural experiment, wasn't it? Again, sorry to anyone offended about my comments about turkey dinner. They weren't. Love you, Mom. You make oh, a great turkey dinner. Yeah, you're right. I just, uh, truth is out here. I think that there are better meals in the world. Like a roast dinner. Anyways, gentlemen, our next topic I want to talk about, which I think might lead to some fascinating discussion, is I want to talk about what is our fascination as a culture with celebrities, but in particular, when a celebrity dies, it seems like the world stops. Everyone loses their minds. Uh... You know, your Facebook feed is all people saying rest in peace to these celebrities. Um, What is the fascination with that? Because I'm always kind of in one hand, I'm like, you know, maybe they had a big impact in your life. They provide a lot of entertainment, a lot of joy. I can think of a lot of people who were sad when Robin Williams died because as a kid, that brought them a lot of joy. Hmm. At the same time, you never met this person. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter to you? What What do you guys take on this? Why are we so fascinated with celebrities? And why are we so fascinated and and need to... To express ourselves when they die. Is it because we... I'll let you guys go. Get a start on this. People have always been enamored with celebrities, though, right? This is kind of a human condition thing. And we, I think we probably just see ourselves... That, I actually think that celebrity culture and our desire for that is pr- probably a kind of minor... A minor... Um, way of us uh, rejecting God's providence in our own life. Do you understand what I mean by that? Mm, like, I'm not really, ha- well, I'm not really happy with the person I am. I'd much rather live vicariously through, I don't know, Princess Diana or uh, George Clooney or I don't know, whoever, Brad Pitt or whoever. I wish I had what he had. And so I follow his life and his, and of course we like their art uh, many, many times. But we don't leave it just there. We want their life and things like that. Um, I, Anyway, that's it's kind of my 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 theory is that it's, it, it's like a little bit of coveting, Do you know that we want yeah. we want what they have, and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I think the people who are fascinated with the death of celebrities because we're fascinated with the celebrity of celebrities, yeah. right? Everything mm-hmm. that that happens to them. So I'm not sure that I would say that we're more interested in their death than we are everything else. I think part of the the you know, fascination, if that's the right word for when a celebrity dies is also partly it, it normalizes them a bit like, Oh man, they were like a real person who are now no longer making movies or recording music. I think it makes them more like the rest of us. One one of the things that you hear, I think oftentimes from people who meet celebrities is they've loved this person all their life. They've loved their movies. They've loved their athletic achievements, whatever. And then you meet them and very rarely do people say that totally met my expectations no. of what that no. was going to be like. I met them and like, like I remember meeting Trevor Linden, like I had his posters in my room and big Trevor Linden fan growing up, loved, loved the Canucks. Great. Met him at a autograph signing thing. I thought it was going to be the best moment of my life. I got near him. He smelled a little bit like B.O. And mm. my first thought was, this is not right. <laughs> you should not smell as poorly as you do. <laughs> You're, right. you're on my wall. Had, he should have had some D.O. for his B.O. Yeah. But 
but I, I think part of the the meeting the celebrities and then the hearing of the celebrities die, it just reiterates in our minds that actually no, these are real people with real faults and who are just as susceptible to life's ups we and downs as we are. We sort of treat like the superhero though, right? So they, they become less superhero-ish and that kind of mm. upsets us. And so when they die, we have to share our our best memories of them, our favorite films, the, the way that this has made us so sad because we want to keep living that world where, no, like they were still kind of a superhero. Well, they, they're an escape to us a lot of times, aren't yep. they? No, that's fair. Yeah, I think their films, their films and things are usually an escape or the the sports games. What I think is interesting, I think sometimes the reason that we're so enamored when we see a celebrity is because it kind of breaks categories for us. One of mm-hmm. like like when you physically see one and they say that's so and so, that's so and so, that's so and so. I actually kind of think that we we don't think of them as occupying time and space. No, yeah, you're right. Do, do you know what I mean? Like that there that you are because you're you're kind of ubiquitous. You're you're everywhere. You're you're normal hmm. on the screen. You're everywhere. Surely you you you're not like a localized person with skin and bones who actually inhabit. You know, like there is a celebrity yeah. right now who's having you know picking his teeth hmm. or something. That's not something celebrities do because they live in this other dimension, right? Yeah. And so when you see them live, you're like, what? Which which must be what feeds the whole tabloid. Taking the picture of the right. what's, what the guys called the TMZ, like paparazzi. Yeah, yeah. When they're they're like, look at this person, they're in sweatpants, no. and and everyone's like, what? They wear sweatpants. They, right. they look like they don't even have While makeup you're on. Your sweatpants. Yeah, you know, totally. looking at them in sweatpants. Jeez. Oh my goodness! Stupid look when people. they're standing there, they're they don't look as thin as they do on that airbrushed movie. Yeah. Or Jeff, what was it like? I mean, you had a close proximity encounter with Orlando Bloom, didn't you, back in the day? <gasps> That's a good story. No. Where? In New Zealand? And this is not like washed out Orlando Bloom. This is in the prime. <laughs> this is the prime Lord of the Rings Orlando yeah. Bloom. Oh, elvish. So pre, Pre-Hobbit I, and pre-Pirates. Uh, I happen to be at the Wellington Airport. Wellington is uh, a big city on the south, south part of the North Island of New Zealand. I had just finished speaking at a conference there, and I had to fly back to Nelson, which is just across the water. So it was like a, I don't know, 25-minute flight in this little little plane. And it just so happened that while I'm in the airport, it was the Lord of the Rings, one of the, one of the, the movies, uh, world premiere was happening in the next couple of days. So they actually had just landed a, a, an Air New Zealand plane out on the tarmac, and they had... Uh, all the stars had been walking. I think they flew from the U.S. or something, mm. and they were all walking in through the airport. And they had roped off this section so that they could walk through. And of course, they were signing autographs and stuff. Yeah. Well, so so what's this? Elijah Wood, the little yep. guy, the little yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. actually quite small. So I was well, like, he's a Hobbit. Well, in the movie, he is. But you're like watching him, and and. Uh, I can't remember the guy who played Samwise Gamgee. He was there in the in Sean Austin. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Sean Aston. Aston. The Sean Aston. So he, they were in line and they were shaking hands and stuff. And I was just, I was actually, this is back in the days when they still had, the, um, uh, in New Zealand anyway, payphones. And so I was calling my wife, in Nelson, telling her I'm at the airport, I'm about to go back, whatever. And you know, at the airport they have those banks of phones. Mm. Well, this one was kind of as a small bank, but there were like. Shaded sides. I have to no. It. I, what is a bank of phone? Well, I, like I have series, no idea what that is. Series of series phones. Of phones. There's like, like six or seven phones all in a, pay phones all in a row. So so you don't just have one pay phone. 
you ha- you can use several of them. Daniel, do you know what a payphone is? Um, you put yes. money into it. Okay. okay. Anyway, I'm talking on the phone to my wife. I'm looking out toward my right, and you know how you kind of shift looking the other way? So I look the other way, which is back toward the line and standing immediately to my left. Like the next bank over or the next no, payphone? No, the next payphone over is Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Who's, who's looking at me. But when he's looking at me, he's looking at my chin because this dude's little. Orlando Bloom? Very small. Oh. He's a small dude. Wow. Which shocked me because, you know, he's he's not little in the movie. Yeah. And then I was looking at him and he's he's not really that impressive. <laughs> like when you're, when you're just there <laughs> next to him. Yeah. Smiled at him. He smiled at me. He had a little moment. Jeff, he's 5'11". He did. How he's tall are you? He's a short guy. How tall are you? Well, he's I didn't... He's listed as 5'11". No, I don't think yeah, he's 5'11". We had he's this conversation at lunchtime. Yeah, Everyone's listed taller nah, on he's official not five things. Eleven. He no, says 5'11". No well, there's no way he's How tall five are you? Eleven. Well, I'm about 6'2", but I, I, he... I'm 5'11". I don't look at your chin. No, but, but he's this not is, as tall as This you. is more in your prime, right? When you're 6'2". No, but he's not, he's not Greg's height. There's no way he's Greg's height. No, I'm a mammoth. So I'm just telling you that Orlando Bloom was standing right next to me, right there. And when I told, I've told this story before to, to other people, and they, some some people when they when they hear that they're like, oh, "You saw Orlando Blue? Is he beautiful?" I was like, "Yeah, not really. <laughs> no. He seemed like nice guy, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he didn't like punch it was funny you in the because there was nobody like he was like nobody was like hovering around him. It's yeah. clearly that other people know who he was. He was on the phone, and then once he got off the phone, he sort of just meandered his way back through the line and. Underneath the thing, as soon as he got in within the tapes, everybody wanted him to sign their autographs and stuff. It was pretty funny. Yeah, that might be the closest I've ever come to like a su- like a movie superstar. Wow! In my life, Adam Warmald was in a movie. He he goes to our church. He's married to one of our associate pastors, Bonnie. So he's kind of a movie star. Yeah, yeah. He, he came was, up, he came up to me and talked to me at church. This he weekend. was in, in a movie. No, yeah. Which movie was he in? He's in the the Tooth Fairy Tooth the the Rock Tooth Fairy the Rock Tooth Fairy where he's where uh, one of the, the elves running around the Tooth Fairy. All right, he's one I'd, of the Tooth Fairies. I'd like to see a, that surrounds the Rock. A clip of that. Anyway, this is a long story that tells you that actually celebrities are not uh, they're not that celebrity ish. Right? They're just people just like us. Do you think it's celebrity-ish because we see them on the television? Of course it is. And Because uh, I always think about that when I've gone to a concert. I saw John Myers. John Mayer. Yep. I don't even know who that is. And, I know uh, that name. Yeah. And I was at this concert. And it's different because you think, at first glance, like I only ever see this person when I look up their songs on YouTube mm-hmm. or whenever you know I watch the DVD. You see them on TV and things. But then when you see them there in the flesh, it just doesn't seem... Yeah, yeah, it's a reminder they're just a real person. And then you go to BC Place to go watch a concert, and they're like smaller than a toothpick. And then you watch the screen anyway. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, that's our celebrity take. I do think that we tend to tend to like this happens to anybody who goes on a screen. Mm -hmm. It Mm. does, and it's happening these days. I think to to in in the church in some places where celebrityism is becoming a thing. Jeff, that is an incredible segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is celebrity pastors. What do you guys make of celebrity pastors? In particular, is it helpful? More help, more helpful, or is it more unhelpful? Are there can are there really celebrity pastors in Canada? 
listen, I know that within the kind of Christian subculture and all that, there might be some pastors who are well known. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm relatively well known around Abbotsford and the Christian sub. That's not, that's not celebrity pastor. Mm. You might think it is. That's, I'm, I'm just saying it, it. That's such a small spot. So in order to be a celebrity pastor, you don't just need to be known in your local community. It seems to me that you kind of have to be known all over the place on TV. And the only place that that's actually possible is in the U.S. Because there's no, I mean, I I don't know of any Canadian pastors who, there's one, there's one like Ontario church, I think, or Winnipeg church that shows a church on the rock or whatever they have there. They're on TV. It's not a very, it's not, it's not a huge church, but they have a TV show. It's the only Canadian church I know of that has any kind of TV presence. And in Canada, if somebody ever asks you, like, if there's something going on in the culture, I, when's the last time you actually had a pastor interviewed by the CBC? Yeah. Like, I don't, they don't care. But in the States, it's so common for, you know, Russell Moore from the uh, the Southern Baptist Convention to be to be interviewed or Albert Moeller or some, somebody who's a representative Christian yeah. to get their hot take from us in, on CNN or, NB, you know, MSNBC. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, you'd have Mark Driscoll on, uh, like, Piers Morgan. Yeah. And stuff like that. So I, I'm, I just think that that's the kind of thing that can happen in the U.S. because of sort of the, the, the interest nationwide in the U.S. in the church. So a guy like Joel Osteen's a celebrity pastor. Uh, Mark Driscoll was a celebrity pastor. You get uh, Matt Chandler, who's probably somewhat of a celebrity pastor. Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a celebrity pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, John Piper. Yeah. So, some some are more deliberately so than others, right? Some are some are actually utilizing the the media, and by media I don't mean like the the reporters. I mean the media like television and newspaper, and some some utilize those kinds of delivery methods more than others. So I don't think Tim Keller's not really using that stuff. He doesn't have a radio program, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but others do, you know. Like we have a radio program. Chuck Swindoll has a radio program, and yeah, this. <laughs> This podcast. Yeah. But it is interesting. It's one of the challenges I think that the church is going to face in the next little while. You read the Corinthian uh, epistles and you realize quickly that this is one of the, was one of their major issues is they were fighting the effects of celebrity of celebrity among Apollos and Paul and the others. And so that people were actually honoring one over the other and pitting them off against each other. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a Paul guy and I'm an Apollos guy and I'm, you know, so as a result, um, it ended up creating a lot of disunity in the church. And I think certainly it's this, that, that has been the case now. So you think, would you say it causes more harm than good? I don't think that any person a- any person should be the focus, other than Christ, should be the focus of the ministry of local churches. Like, I, it, it always kind of bugs me a little bit when the people put their picture on the front of their books. Hmm. I mean, I, to be honest, half the books that are written don't, shouldn't be written because there are better books that have been written than the ones that are being written. And so it always comes off to me as a bit of a, uh, I'm just, we're just trying to make a little bit of money. And that's cynical me. The other side is that, you know, sometimes what they're writing about is valuable and has, you know, you know is important, I guess, in some ways. But a, a lot of times it's just to kind of keep the, uh, keep the machine going. You know what I mean? There's yeah. money to be made. And there are companies that publish books and they want the celebrity pastor to pub- to write the book so they can guarantee sales. And so they do that. Mm-hmm. And then the books are not always that good. You know, they sound like the guy's sermons because they probably are often taken from those sermons and then they publish it. So a lot of, t- a lot of those guys aren't gifted writers, right? Mm. Some are. Kevin DeYoung's a great writer. 
I think he's excellent. He's actually probably a better writer than he is a preacher. But mm. some others aren't aren't fantastic writers. I don't think Tim Keller's a great writer. I think he's a far better preacher than that. Mm. Um, but he has a lot of content and good stuff to say. So I think that maybe that's th- that kind of thing is helpful. My point my point is I think that celebrity is one of those things that we probably should be considering in the church more how we can fight than how we can foster. Mm. Yeah. So how can you? I mean, unless you guys dis- you can disagree, it's fine. I I just. There are those who argue that you should foster it because by fostering the celebrity of the pastor, you're actually, you know, kind of paving the way for talk about Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Greg and I were talking about this earlier in the sense that Albert Moeller is an interesting one because in his book, he did a book on leadership. Albert Moeller is the uh, president of Southern Baptist Seminary. The Southern Baptist Seminary. The Southern Baptist Seminary, which is quite a a well-renowned seminary. And he Mm kind of turned it around, from what I understand, from a very... It's in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, Yeah. Louisville. Not a great place, and he's kind of turned it to like... Louisville's a a great place, just not the seminary was. No, yeah, it was in a bad way, right? Okay, yeah. So now he's the president of, I guess, the seminary there and Boyce College, Mm -hmm. which is their undergraduate program uh, school there. Anyways, he does a lot of writing, and he writes for... Does he write for Gospel Coalition? I think, he, yeah, he writes all over he's, the place. He's together for the gospel. He does a lot of these things. But his um, his influence is pretty massive. And he, he'll he describe that he actually... He understands, like, he has a podcast that he, ha- he has as a separate ministry. That's his own ministry. It's called The Briefing. And he has an Instagram. And what he always does, he'll tweet, and he'll mm-hmm. do all these things. But the way he justifies this is he's saying, look, I'm... I'm promoting this other ministry that I have. Mm. And and his his take on this, because I, I think, Jeff, like I've agreed with you more. I don't know if how much Greg and I were talking about how much should pastors actually be posting on social media and whatnot. But everything, most of the stuff he promotes and posts is promoting his ministry or his articles. And, right. he, and he would say that if you aren't doing that, you're missing out on an enormous audience. Yeah, and, and, and that's and that's the way people are, are communicating these days. And so, if you're not jumping in on that, you're only you're stuck with the people who aren't using phones. Yeah, I agree. And and that's that's the compelling side for the the foster the celebrity. You know, somebody who's a celebrity use use their name to try to to try to push it forward. And I I really do have a lot of time for that. That that's why it's a bit of attention for me. Yeah. However. Uh, the, the challenge is that people end up treating John, Albert Moeller like he's the Pope. Uh, and by that, I mean the way that people used to treat the Pope. Not now, right? Because nobody, most people are like, oh, I don't care the Pope. You heard it here first. Al Moeller is the reformed Pope. No, but he kind of, like, people tend to treat, like, well, Al Moeller says. Well, Al Moeller says. I remember a friend who is a pastor of a church. He's, he's older than I am, but he was a pastor of a church for years. And he had a guy in his church who was who would write letters to him afterwards, quoting John MacArthur. So in other words, your sermon didn't meet up to scratch because John MacArthur says, and John MacArthur says, now John MacArthur is a gifted preacher and very famous and at that point had a radio ministry. But now you're judging the ministry of your local church pastor who might not have quite the oratory gifts, but certainly has the knowledge and the theological skill that MacArthur does. But you're judging him based upon basically the celebrity. And that's my concern is that what ends up happening is that you get you get these voices that are honored above all other voices and they are they are treated kind of in a papal way, like they're like what they say is the truth. And don't you don't, don't disagree with, I mean, I, we hear it in our, in our circles with guys like Tim Keller. Oh, do you know, Keller says, well, 
Okay. Piper says, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he does. And that's fantastic, but I'm not right all the time. He's not right all the time. We can have genuine disagreements, Mm. but it tends to not, that doesn't happen very much in the celebrity sort of culture in the end. And then I get concerned about that when the celebrity pastor ends up falling. I mean, what happened to Mark Driscoll is really sad. Mm. And what happened to Mars, Mars Hill church in Seattle is really sad to me. And I wonder all this time was being spent to, you know, foster Mark's name and put, you know, copious amounts of, of books out in his name. And it ended up kind of collapsing in on itself. Don't you mm. think? Mm. Yeah. So is it better? Is that better? I, I, th- I think, um, I, I think a few things. First of all, I think the celebrity culture, um, idea, the celebrity pastor idea in this part of the world in the Pacific Northwest, um, doesn't fly quite as well as in other parts of North America. Why not? I think we are a a, an ex, a very cynical <laughs> bunch of people. Yeah. There's a reason that I think people who live in Vancouver and the Valley uh, are more like people from Portland North yeah. than they are people Winnipeg East. Right. There's more of a kinship. There's more of a same way of looking at the world there. I've had friends who have moved from Ontario out to British Columbia and they have a really hard time with the transition because things are just different in Ontario than the way are, than the way they are in BC. Uh, the way that people By different, you mean not, not as cynical. Right. right. And, and the way that they, you would do hospitality is very different in Ontario compared to here. It's a lot more put together over there and over here. It's a lot more. Yeah. Sorry that all my stuff's in the middle of the place. And it's just more of a, it's a different kind of culture. Anyway, so here's my point with all of that is because we're a, like a rainy clouds are always in the sky, cynical type of people. I think the celebrity culture of among ministry and pastors, I think is, is a harder sell here than it is other places. So I think in here in particular, in this area, I think it's a hard, it, it is something to be cautious about because I think when the, when the thing goes wrong, everyone who's cynical in the Pacific Northwest will say, yeah, see, I saw that coming. And it, it, it doesn't actually help long term. So I think, all, granted, the celebrity feeding off personalities in the short term, I think can be immensely helpful for a growth, a surge at a beginning stage. I think long term, it's it's harder because it's so attached to a person that how that person goes, so goes the ministry. And, and oftentimes, so goes the 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 faith or the commitment to the faith of the people that followed the person. Cause what they did was they followed, they were in it for the Christianity, but they were also kind of in it for the celebrity. And so I think recognizing that no matter what size of church you have, the leaders in your congregation are going to have a bit of a draw to them mm. and how the leaders go often is going to be how the church goes. And so being proactive, I think, especially in a sub in a celebrity culture in North America of how can we share, how can we share platforms? How can we share leadership? How can we be committed to a plurality of leaders? All this kind of stuff is, is going to help make sure that the next generation isn't jaded because the, the initial generation was so built around a personality mm. So I'm going to try to make a biblical argument uh, against celebrity. And I don't know. So you, you can tell me what the implications of this are. So you'll know where I'm, I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to first Corinthians chapter two. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to point out that Paul in this passage, which is his, the historical background behind it, is a bunch of uh, sophists, which are teachers 
basically really gifted public teachers who in those days were treated kind of as the rock stars. They were traveling. They'd come to your city. Mm. Uh, they would put on big shows, meaning that they would stand in the middle of an auditorium in those days, open air, right? You can still go to places like this and in uh, the ruins of Ephesus and stuff, mm. these huge amphitheaters. And they would stand in the bottom and they would deliver a message. The message, of course, didn't matter. It's how they did it that mattered. It was all a show, very much like our like films and Right. People would hire the, you know, if you were a really uh, rich patron in a city, you would hire one of the sophists to come to your house and have a, a to speak after your dinner party. Right. Mm. So that everyone would think, wow, you're a really important person because you're able to get and I'm filling the blank. You're Dio, rubbing, rubbing shoulders with. Right. Which is mm. what we do today. Right. Hey, come over to my house. Brad Pitt's going to be there. And that makes you think I'm pretty important because I know Brad Pitt mm. or whatever. Mm. So that's the setting, that's the culture. So when Paul comes to the city and he's going to reach, he's going to preach the gospel, he knows that what they're understanding him to be is a celebrity sophist mm. who's going to come in and use persuasive, what he, what's called persuasive words of wisdom or like these really showiness and stuff. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, look, I came to you and I purposed to know them and I, 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 I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't use persuasive words of wisdom. So I deliberately chose not to engage with you in a way that would lead you to believe that I'm one of these sophists, that I'm a celebrity. So I'm assuming, I'm, I'm getting rid of my the, how you would understand me as a celebrity so that you might be one with the power of God and not the wisdom of men. Because ultimately... What you win people with is what you win them to. If you win people with celebrity, you win them to celebrity. If you win people with the power of God unto salvation, you win them to the power of God unto salvation. I think, so So my argument here is if you're going to try to take a kind of one-to-one correspondence from that age to this age, what Paul is basically saying is that there are certain forms of communication that are misleading in the minds of those who hear them so that the people who hear them think differently about the message because of how it's being communicated, the method, then what you intend. And you need to be careful that when you're communicating the gospel, you have to be really careful because you want the gospel to be the star of the show. You don't want the method to, to, to muddy those waters. And so much so that you need to, at times, choose not to engage in some stuff. Mm. So this is where I'm like, okay, celebrity then is is not something that perhaps we should like embrace. In fact, maybe we should just, we should try not to, that doesn't mean that you should be boring or horrible or that Paul was boring and horrible, even with the Corinthians. It's just, he was really aware of how they were hearing him and understanding him. And so my thing is, this is part of the reason why we as a church don't put, you know, like we've been, people have approached us before saying, Hey, we should do video venues all across Canada. Right. And there's like a real pull to that because you're thinking, yeah, you could establish good churches and all these that we, we chose not to do it. And part of the reason is because we don't really think it's a valuable thing for our preaching pastors to be seen as the, as the, you know, a big, a big deal. Oh, I'm going to so-and-so church because that's where so-and-so preaches. And, you know, I'm, I will only go to that church because they preach. We don't publish our, our, you know, who's preaching on one weekends. I don't preach all the time. We choose to do these things. I could preach more. I could publish it and stuff, but we do all of those things to try to avoid this. Do we, I mean, we're not perfect at it by any means, but we're really uneasy with putting my face on a video screen in other locales that are not, you know, have a proximity to the, 
to to the place where I'm actually doing the sermon. Do you know what I mean? And yet we do choose to employ things like video on website and a podcast on iTunes and this podcast that we do. And so all of these things could very easily, people could come back and say, okay, so on one side of your mouth, you're saying don't over promote yourself. And the means through which you're saying that is a podcast. Totally. That X amount of people listen to. So there's this tension. That's what I told, said earlier, there's this weird tension that I have that we have with this. And, and this is the kind of tension I think everybody who gets involved in this sort of work should recognize that Marshall McLuhan, one of the, he's Canadian and, uh, he's what we call a media ecologist. So he tries to understand kind of the, the, the environment, the ecology that the media creates. So his, he has an, a famous saying, the medium is the message. So his point is sometimes, so when you communicate something through a podcast, it changes the message you're communicating because the means you're communicating it mm-hmm. are, you know, are different. If you put somebody's face on a video screen as opposed to live, that changes the message a little bit, or at least how it's understood. Hmm. So this is, I think he's right about that. I think that's what Paul's talking about. I don't think that Paul is, is saying, oh, like a blanket. No, you can't do anything. You should, but he's also putting some breaks on this idea that some people have that, man, uh, we, we will change the methods completely, but never the message. Like we can do anything to, well, no, we're not going to do anything. Right. Hmm. We're not, we're not going to, there, there are some things that we're, that, that will defeat what we're trying to say Hmm. to people. Right. Hmm. And so this is a tension and this is the kind of thing that you have to think about an awful lot. And you often feel like, are you, are we by utilizing this particular method, you know, over writing the message itself? It's a great discussion. It's something to think about quite frequently. I hope I hope that we are achieving a, a good balance by of on the one hand taking advantage of the media mm. as it exists to to promote the gospel and get good teaching in the hands of people, and on the flip side, convincing people repeatedly that this is about the message and about the person of Christ, not about those people who are speaking about Him. Mm. So I don't know. You can tell me whether. Daniel, you can tell me whether or not you think we've done right. But when you do, remember, you work for us. So, mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a great way to end this podcast right there, Jeff, you know, with that threat. Uh, Greg, let me just throw this at you here. Yeah, man. Um, so you, you post on Facebook quite a bit. We're Facebook friends. Do you have a hard time picking what we're going to what you're going to post? And do you filter through things like what do you how do you process? I, what I have post? I have a very poor philosophy of social media. I haven't thought it through very well. I am, I'm always wrestling through if I should have it at all. Uh, how public should it be? How personal should it be? Uh, in one way, I, I grew up. So Facebook, I remember it kind of came on the scene when I was in high school. And so it was just kind of what we did. It was like this new thing that came on. And so and then it's kind of morphed into this basically a collection of videos and advertisement. But it, it's... I don't know. Uh, so right now I have a, a profile on Facebook that I've kept somewhat limited and yet not very. Twitter, I am try to keep it mostly just ministry-related stuff, but I don't tweet very frequently, mostly because I think there's all kinds of better things that are being said out there. And then every once in a while I think, man, I should just get rid of it all because what, like, 
what 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 am I even doing on it that's helpful? And then sometimes I think, no, it's actually helpful because I can share articles and I can share yeah. information. Because I have a lot of friends on Facebook who go to Northview. So a lot of the times I'll share stuff that our Northview Facebook page sends out, like if service times change or yeah. here's a good video of Rochelle Schellenberg on her life situation, like all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm like, okay, I'll share that because that'll be helpful for people. So the short answer is I don't think I have a very good philosophy of how I'm using my social media. And yet I think in some ways, if you are going to be in ministry, I think you should have one. Like Jeff, yours has been basically very limited. Well, I don't have Facebook. But your your social media engagements are limited. I have a, I have a, are you, are you on the that, Twitter? Yeah, but I never, I never post on you Twitter. Follow, you follow sports uh, and stuff. If right? I ever use any, it's on Instagram, and I, I probably in all the time I've ever had it posted, maybe ten times. Yeah, uh, and usually it's just goofy stuff, silly, stupid pictures of friends and stuff. I try to actually not. I don't use it for anything valuable. Um, partially just so you know, because I think that these, I know that these are the places that people engage in some conversations. Twitter, yep. I think they're a horrible place to engage in conversations. Like I, I think the idea when I say horrible, it's fine. If you, if you do it, it's, it's fine. I just don't think that there's any room for nuance in it. Absolutely. So if you're on Twitter, uh, it's it, misunderstanding is so easy and it's so easy to get entrenched in your viewpoint because you're trying to be pithier than the other person. And I just don't know if that's, I don't actually know if that's a healthy uh, approach to dialogue, to public discourse. Mm. So I've chosen to not really engage much on in that in that realm. Um, yeah, I would much rather have verbal conversations with people. But you know, it's and and this I actually find the podcast to be a helpful medium because you can nuance things. And even this is limited, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as social media, yeah, I am a really bad social media or media meter. You're a bad millennial, Jeff. I am. I am. Yeah, my kids aren't. They like to post, they like to post stuff, but we have like rules in our house that you, you're not allowed to post stuff without the permission of other family members. You don't post things that are private family moments. You just don't, you don't Except my kid the other day posts something where I was screaming at him, but in a positive way. It was very exciting. Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. He was making Reese's peanut butter cups. We were laughing our heads off about how hyped he was getting about his pieces, peanut butter cups. And so I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we posted that. And with that, we've come full circle back to Thanksgiving. There we go. Incredible. Well, gentlemen, what a good, uh, what a great show this was. It's a good program, wasn't it? Hey, what episode number are we on? You're not a very good 22? Host. 322? Okay. 322, yeah, which means we're what? 323. I don't think it's 22. No, it's 323. <laughs> you were right, Jeff. So we're on episode 323, and we, we are climbing that ladder to 400, aren't we? You know, this time next year, we'll be, you add what, 65 onto that? 52 weeks? So we'll probably do the uh, the math off air. <laughs> <laughs> how would he, how would he, how Thank you, you very much for listening to the Northview podcast. Send in your questions to extra at northview.org and uh, we will try to get answers to them or not, you know, depending on how good the questions are. But God bless you and... See you next week on the Extra Podcast. Cast, cast. That's not bad, Jeff. Not bad. It's pretty good.